rolling, gentlemen. Hello, welcome to Going Off Track. Hello! <laughs> Brad, what was that? Yeah, I was about to start. I look up and I'm like... I just wanted to fuck? get in before Benny could say anything. It's like, you're here? What's going on? That was weird. Yeah, Brad, you just th- threw off my whole game. Yeah. Baby. I'm usually Cindy. smooth like butter. And now I'm like, hey, how do you Monday. follow up? Whoa, everybody. <laughs> Working on my cartoon voice. I'm trying to get some work. Yeah, I could see it. What if, if you had to go do cartoon work, would you go for like... Brad, what are you doing? <laughs> say, Brad is the guy who's always like, don't touch the mic. Like, don't do this. Brad, like, so Brad like yells this thing in, is like fixing the camera, then just takes a phone charger and just wipes it off the side of the table. Like it's, like it's just some crumb sitting in front of him and his maid is about to run over and Dude, clean it up. I'm so off my mark. There's like, what I is swear happening? there's like, the, there's some kind of planetary alignment or something. I played poker with a bunch of guys Friday night, and I was like, I walked in and just dumped my chip stash like in twenty minutes. I was just like, I was so off the. What's I'm going just, on? I'm off the mark. I think it's just. Are you hitting that uh, like midlife crisis? Like I'm just going big now. And maybe like, I'm throwing... hitting that end life Alzheimer's. Well. <laughs> oh. But I wasn't like I walked in and I thought I felt like I, you know I thought I was hungover. I'm I'm sitting there playing like shit. I'm like God, am I like? And I'm and then I realized I hadn't had a drink all week. So maybe that's the problem. Maybe you've been getting enough sleep. That's a big one. No, I don't think so. But I never get enough sleep. Yeah, yeah. feel that. What do you? What do you guys? Because I was reading an interview with uh, Donald Glover. Yes, and they were like talking about his is a feature in the New Yorker, and they were like talking about his day to day, and they're like, and he every night gets four to five hours of sleep. Oh, and I was, and he's a very prolific, you know, gets a lot done. Sure. I mean, am I sleeping too much? It's four to five hours? Because I heard as no. you get older, you need less sleep. This is where, and especially now I got kids, like, I've learned all this stuff. It It's different for every, like, right. we're all fucking different people. It yeah. is. Like, I need most less people sleep need, Most than people other really people. do need eight hours sleep. Though. I need six. <clears throat> yeah. To be, like, to be, like, happy, not to be functional. That's minimum. For I me. need less to just get by and do what I got to do, but to be, like, happy and... Feeling good, I need about six. But for me, I need to do that in two shifts. That's where it gets tricky for me. Because uh, I wake up in the middle of the night. Right. Yeah, and I wander around the house. And not because you're a parent, because parenthood obviously makes no, you wake No, I up. actually, I, I had a reverse thing for co-sleeping, where I don't sleep with my kids, so I don't wake them up. Right. Because <laughs> well, I'll be sense. in and out of bed and stuff. I'm on the couch with the dog. That's rough. You need to sleep straight through, man. That's what's good for you. How? I don't know. I can't do it without drugs. Me. And even then, it doesn't really work. I mean, maybe you don't. You seem pretty, you know, you seem I take an together. Ambien or something, I'll wake up four hours later instead of three, just like ultra refreshed. Yeah. And then it's like three in the morning and I'm like, woo! <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's do this. Doesn't work. And then when I travel and I don't have all my stuff and I can't relax... That's when you'll find me at like four in the morning sitting in just like weird places right. well, doing when you tour, deep breathing you exercises. How many times I've sat in some shit room in some random country watching people sleep like <laughs> literally hundreds of times just staring just in the jealous. middle distance, just all creepy. They're like, well, he's breathing weird. <laughs> oh, that's depressing. Play, play, play carrot sticks and dip next to you. No. Why would you eat? I don't know. And you're just painting a picture here, but no. Where would I get that? 
I don't know. I feel like uh, you're not talking about backstage area. I mean, but think about this. Like, at this point in the night, what if time? you're getting carrot sticks and dip, that's like one of the first things being open in a backstage, right? That's true. Probably like four or five in the afternoon that's yeah. happening. So to imagine by four in the morning, 12 hours later, that dip is looking like something I want to go near. Nah. Yeah. Yeah, you're not thinking straight here. You're right. You're right. <laughs> probably be more like a cliff bar or something. Oh, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, probably a cliff, something packaged. Yeah, something packaged. Um, well, it depends where I am. If I'm on a bus and I got the fridge and stuff. How, how, much, how much leeway do you have where, like, like, say you wanted organic crackers, quinoa crackers, say Mary's Gone Crackers, my favorite. Can you be like, Mary's Gone Crackers, put it on the list, this just appears. Uh, it'll probably appear like half the time. Okay. It'll appear in like cities that have a Whole Foods. Yeah. And where like the person who's going to get the stuff actually like knows where to go for like organic bullshit and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it's not a sure thing. And we're not the type of group that can start being like, yo, Mary's fucking cr-. Like they better be there. <laughs> or else we're not going to play. I also would never do that just yeah. for the way I feel. Yeah. You know? Like, I'd be a lot faster to be like, great, I got to eat a bag of Cheez-Its and come one step closer to cancer than yelling at someone for getting (laughs) quinoa crackers. But you do learn, (laughs) you do learn pretty quick to put, you know, parentheses if possible. Like you can ask for... That's just asking for it though. That's when they're like, all right, don't get that. If you just put like, I need cracker, you know, you just put crackers and beer, you get like Miller Lite and fucking saltines. All right. We got to talk about why saltines are in some negative category right now. <laughs> Dude, compared to Mary's Gone Crackers, are you kidding me? I honestly... <laughs> I love they, MGCs. Listen, if they didn't give me cancer, I would take a saltine or a Ritz or any of that over a fucking quinoa cracker. I only eat this stuff because I have to, not because I want to. Dude, I don't like those. They're, they're, like saltines if I could have it right now, I would literally have... There'd be a big box of Cheez-Its right here. There'd probably be about nine hot mozzarella sticks right there. Be like a liter of Mountain Dew right here. And then I'd be thinking about like, oh shit, I could fuck up a burrito on the way home. Like, if none of this stuff did anything to me, I would eat it constantly. Mountain Dew has got the most caffeine of any soda, I love it. (laughs) That used to be my morning breakfast when Uh, I lived across from Quick Check. Would be a Mountain Dew and a buttered roll every morning. Yeah, That was my nutrition. It was fine. That's, that's it was rough. fine until I found out that like I'm either going to get kidney stones or diabetes yes. or like it's probably just killing or something kidney else. Diabetes stones. But no, I don't. I'm I'm totally not with you guys. I wanna I wanna eat Ritz crackers. Yeah, super bad. <laughs> well, fair enough. I mean, I. Uh, Do you think Josh eats Ritz? I don't know. It didn't come up in the podcast, but a lot did. I bet he doesn't eat Ritz. I bet he doesn't. But Josh was awesome, and this was a great interview. Yes, today in the podcast, we have Josh Corda from uh, Dharma Punks NYC. He also recently wrote the book, Unsubscribe, uh, which you can pick up now. Mm-hmm. It's available on Amazon, uh, bookstores. I read it in like four days. It's, it's, it's really great. Um, you can see him give his talks in New York. He does talks every week. Um, you can uh, also find him online. They, they're in a podcast format. Yes. Yes. They do a Dharma Punks podcast. Um, and yeah, he's part of Against the Stream. Uh, he's written a bunch of stuff for Huffington Post, a bunch of other places. Josh is a great guy. Um, 
I saw, I've seen him speak a couple times over the years. I saw how he had a book out. I emailed him, and he showed up. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, so thanks to Josh for coming by. Check out Unsubscribe, his book, and here's our conversation with Josh Cora. It's going on <laughs> The last five or ten years, sure. Oh, no. I just, it's cool, well, man. It is, it's like one of those movies you just like, for me, like once, and it's just there see i'm inspired by movies like that because it's like i connect with the character because it's some kid in like a white stuffy town in a controlling high school who's like doing a pirate radio station playing punk rock and like telling people to question authority and just like be badass and then like takes on the FCC at the end. He takes on Teen Wolf's yeah. dad, who's the head of the FCC. <laughs> right. I don't true. know the actor's name, but I, I, uh, it was the first Descendant song I ever heard. It was like, on the Pump awesome. Up the Volume yeah. soundtrack. Oh, yeah. I Like Food was on it. I was like, who's this weird band? I forgot about that. I don't know, man. Respect. Yeah. Did you ever see that? Okay, I'm, this is really lame because I'm, um, there was a 1980 movie about kids that riot in Los Angeles, and they totally trash this town. They start over the edge. Over the edge. Oh my god, it's so good. <laughs> that is fucking. That's, it's even more. It's punk what's rock. his name's? Um, what's that actor? I think it's Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon's first big movie. Yeah, I mean, and so badass. They literally, they literally like they, they lock, lock the parents into a gym in the auditorium, <laughs> and they literally and trash fuck up the town. It's, it's so and it's, fucking and brilliant. It's, and it was because one of the kids got his ass kicked by the cops. Yes. It was like a <laughs> early was, like trash kid police a white brutality. Ferguson, yeah, yeah, white like, Ferguson. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best band name never used, by the way. White Ferguson. <laughs> I never heard of this one. Oh man, Over the Edge is Over awesome. Over the Edge yeah. is classic. It's like yeah. even I've, that's one of the few movies I've seen more than a couple of times. Okay, like with Nail and I, another movie you, you like. If you ever get into it, you like watch it over and over and over again. But that movie, it's because it just builds to everything you've always wanted when you're that age, like a, a straight up revolution. And they film it. Yeah, and it, literally, it's just. I mean, you're watching like twelve year olds, like like burn and tip over a cop car <laughs> what could I mean, be better <laughs> i mean you couldn't like in what context of a film would you even be able to get away with that at this point and have to be like post-apocalyptic it, it couldn't be contemporary they'd never have it for like main release anymore you know yeah burning and tipping over cop cars is so taboo now <laughs> it used to just be all right <laughs> you know I don't know. Certainly my favorite genre. There is a genre <laughs> that it's like I'm I'm all there. Wait, where Brad, you moved me. Where are my notes? I know I have some notes on my phone just in case I look at this. That's oh, why. Right. I mean I mean we can just I didn't touch just your stuff. Oh, but I wanted to talk to you about I didn't move anything. Um we both have had sciatica. Yes. And I I've, I've, I remember seeing you kind of speak about it. Um and is how is yours doing right now? Well, I've been doing <clears throat> what a couple it, of things. I tr- I kind of uh, stretch religiously. I do that. What is that? Upward facing dog. You know, right. Pigeon pose. I do a lot of that. I do a lot of. I go to the gym and walk on walk jog on the treadmill. Like because the more you use, the more you walk, the less you get it. Right. So of course, when you have it, you don't want to walk the fuck at all. You want to just like say. 
well, fuck this. I just want to like try to get through. And I've tried various things like tens machines, and but the only thing that really works is just uh, uh, like literally stretching the back, you know, against this. Lift, I do when I get it and I walk around. I'll lift my leg up really high and put it on something like a you know, uh, uh, I don't know, like a street sign or something to keep my leg, you know, the 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 sciatic muscle stretched and yeah. So it's been pretty good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. It was really shitty when I got it. My yeah. brother-in-law has a lot of luck with uh, a home like infrared sauna for that. It's like you know the little looks like a little alien, you know, like, yeah, a pod that your just head sticks out of with the infrared heat. And yeah. he, he finds a lot of luck for that, for a sciatica. See, I'm all about getting a sauna. I just have to convince her. I mean, that's <laughs> like, but not something like where I'm like, my head is fucking, that sounds like, that's not, you, you got to go whole hog with a sauna. You don't just like oh, say, okay, <laughs> give it to me up to the neck. You know, you want right. to be in a sauna, right? I mean, I do. Yeah. I mean, me and Benny go to the Russian bathhouse. We go to the Russian yeah. bath all the yeah. time. Do you ever we go to the Spa 88? No. See, that place is so much better. Spa 88. Ooh. This sounds Don't familiar. You know this one? Where is this one? It's down on Fulton on 88 Fulton. No, I've heard about this one. I have not been there. It's so much better. Really? Yeah. I mean, like the one on 10th Street is just like <laughs> you're pressed. Up. It's like being on the L train at 5. It's just like. <laughs> We're going to shove you up against humanity. I do sometimes feel like I'm getting lung disease. There. Yeah. <laughs> That's happened a couple of times. So I'm like, yeah, this doesn't feel Lung good. disease if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're more likely getting some like variant of herpes or something like but that. But fucking Boris sold me on four more trips. Dude, I have like sold me on a year membership yeah. again. Every <laughs> time I'm there, I feel like I have to buy another package. I know. They, they have a way of just back. talking you into just like handing over all your money. You feel like yeah. a fool if you don't. I know. You're like, no, this is best for you. Um. <laughs> no, they don't do that at Spy 88. No. But the fun thing about Spy 88 is they'll be like, uh, they'll be just... Uh, these really, they still have like these sort of Russian gangstery guys with these absolutely beautiful Russian women. Sure. And it's just, it's so just great to be around like the sort of Russian mafia while you're getting like, you know. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's just a joy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then also you'll hear sometimes like some of the most insane conversations in like, and they have a lot of different varieties of saunas and steam rooms and stuff like that so i will say i i was a little not long ago at the last time i went to the russian baths on 10th uh you know i don't like if i don't go with somebody i don't want to talk to anybody there at all you know what i mean like i want to be as isolated as possible it's kind of part of it for me yeah and you know some dudes next to me you know i have a lot of tattoos under here so i'm at the spa you know they're exposed and a guy with tattoos is next to me, starts looking at him and noting. I'm like, Jesus Christ, great. You know, I'm trying to sweat and think about nothing. And now I have to, like, explain what this means. I don't want to. Welcome then, to my life. Has <laughs> yeah, that I ever happened imagine. to you, Josh? <laughs> yeah, I wonder. <laughs> and, you know, but then I, I let down my guard a little. And, you know, I just deflected back to him. I'm like, oh, what does your tattoo mean? And he starts explaining this insanely cool story yeah. about what his tattoo means. And then... Five minutes later, I find out I'm sitting next to Michael Keaton's stunt double from Birdman. 
Oh, <clears throat> who's done like all this cool stuff and like that's and, a really odd like. And I found like claim this to fame. Great, right? Well, he's like sort of Keaton's guy. Oh, okay. but I guess this was like his. I want to be Keaton's guy. <laughs> I mean, you that's might. Like, do you think you could still do it? <laughs> no, Stunt double. I don't think I've ever been able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but what I, kind of stunts was in Birdman? I mean, he was just running around through I the think, street screaming. Well, he had some flying scenes. Oh, that's so right. maybe he was like he was, you know. Uh, I just cr- I didn't want to be a, a stunt. I just wanted to be Michael Keaton's guy. You know, there's a difference. Oh, just like the one who hangs out. with Yeah, him? exactly. Yeah. The guy who's like he guy says, rolls his joints. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he just says, you know, hey, go out and pick me up some pizza. I'd be that guy. I think Keaton smokes weed. <clears throat> you think? Yeah, I get a vibe from Key, and I don't think he's a straight laced guy. Yeah, I think he I sees the darkness. Maybe <laughs> I think he sees the darkness. <laughs> Play some wacky character. That's be, true. Can you be Bruce Wayne, Batman, without understanding the darkness a little? I like this idea you know? about Michael Keaton looking into the darkness, into the abyss. Yeah, he's searched like the the sort of the. <laughs> the dark night of the soul. Yeah. He's wandered through, and he wound up a pot fiend. <laughs> yeah. This is, these are things about Michael Keaton we don't know. It's true. It's true. We could never know. We got to get him on. Is he a New York guy? Can we I don't know. I'll find out. I'll look into it. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I think to... he's like he's living in a a hovel in a cave, just staring at the dark side and smoking oh. weed. It's just in, uh, he's just looking into the middle distance, waiting for his next part. That's it. That's all he does. Yeah. Josh, who are some of the punk, like, I mean, you, you reference kind of Bad Brains and, yeah. like, being in the pit in, in the book, Unsubscribe. I mean, who are sort of, like, the punk bands that kind of got you into it? Did you go to a lot of shows in New York? Oh, was- yeah, well, I mean, to go over, like, a, a brief overlay, like, I grew up here. Okay. And so, you know, I was, as a teen, way, first, like all teens, I was heavy into Zeppelin, like, in the 1970s. I'm 57, so I was like... You know, Zepp, and then I got heavily in. I was a stoner, right, and just survived school just by tripping, taking drugs, getting high all the time. And so I morphed from uh, Zepp to Sabbath, you know, Masters of Reality, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. I mean, those were like, and then around 77, my, my family spent some time in England, and I was introduced like right there to the clash and it was like it was insane i'd never seen you know i knew of the ramones growing up here because you'd see their poster everywhere but you sort of thought oh this is some kind of crappy garage band like i didn't have any clue who they were but then when i went there the ramones were like god and so when i came back i started checking out uh like punk a lot more by like uh so i started going to cbgb's a lot and seeing you know dead boys all those shows and i got really entranced i cut off my hair i was no longer a stoner i <coughs> in, by 79 i got to see the bad brains well before they had wow. the first album out. i was uh, you had to see them in dc so i traveled to see them at the 930 Club, which was this ins- amazing situation. They were playing with, you won't believe this, you remember the band Per Ubu? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Cleveland. Uh, yeah, there, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're from Cleveland? That's yeah. I went to Oberlin. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't so know that. I, okay. I, I would, like, used to go to the Agora. I was at one of the shows where Iggy got beat up at the Agora by really? the recycle gang. You know, 
literally beaten into unconscious. And another show, the Dead Boys were playing there as well. And Stiv threw up his threw the microphone up in the air trying to catch it, but he was so fucked up that the microphone hit him on the head and knocked him unconscious. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was it was awesome. It was just like. You know, just like everything you want to see in Devo, I saw like when they had the first single. You know, what year was that? In like early eighties? That's seventy nine. I was, you know, in college, yeah, uh, as a freshman, and just you know, what brought you out that that way for school? It was the only school that let me in. I was a total. (laughs) My high school asked me to stop attending. I was too high all the time. Literally taking drugs, going to school, like not giving a shit. But I applied for early admission doing music at Oberlin and uh, so I went because it was the only place that would have me and I just wanted to get the fuck out of my family and (laughs) get away so but it so happened that the Agora was just like (laughs) I love that Uh, this is great (laughs) (laughs) this is a first for sure (laughs) it's brilliant this is is what we want to talk about Cleveland we have this because this is the sound exactly. This yes. is, somebody likes okay. He knows this is actually an exercise we put together to test everyone's mindfulness. <laughs> yeah, let's it's, see how you're doing. I, for me, it's awesome. I mean, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so the Gora was like one of the great showcases for just you know, public image came and played there when they had Metal Box, which is like right. one of the great. Uh, they had people in it like Jaw Wobble and Keith Levine from The Clash, so I was completely psyched. And um, so anyway, I really got heavily into the punk DIY ethos, you know, not going after anything like a career, living outside of the system, questioning everything. And then uh, when I got back to New York, I got heavily into hardcore. I mean, for a while, uh, I lived above this on Avenue B in 1982. Which wow. Was it's pretty scary, I imagine. Unbelievably scary. Yeah. It was like, it was like fucking, you were going to get killed if you like didn't go out with a sort of a posse. But um, I lived right above this group, the False Prophets, which was a, a hardcore band. They had a rehearsal studio right be- beneath me. And since they were playing all the time, I just go down to listen. We became friends. And so they... What Rock. kind of guys were they? Like New Yorkers? Like if you look them up, like one guy had would look like a Hitler mustache with like a cane with a monkey skull on top of it. <laughs> Whoa! And <laughs> you had to look these guys up. Some real characters, completely insane. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and they were friends with this anarchist collective called Missing Foundation, which okay. every show they did was uh, led to a riot, literally, uh. every show. Like, they just would, literally, they got kicked out of CBs because they brought cans of petrol and lit them on fire and burned, Whoa. literally almost burnt CBs to the ground. Holy shit. What was their motivation to do that? Anarchists disrupt the system, protest, cause chaos, you know, just like... Uh, German, wonderful, you know, revolutionary energy. Yeah. This is great. I love the fact that, like, the world is ending while we're talking about this. <laughs> it could so, be. <laughs> so uh, they would drag me to, when it started, that club, you remember A7? It was sort of like the most, it was where, like, Minor Threat and Cro-Mags and all those bands got their start. So it was really exciting to be around people who led that kind of an outsidery 
I had no interest in ever making it in the music industry. I had no, they were just doing it simply for pure joy. And sure. So, um, at the same time, I always had this twin background in Buddhism. My dad was a horrible low bottom alcoholic, and he got sober, and he didn't want to believe in any eighth, you know. Uh, uh, theistic religion. He mm-hmm. just didn't have that in him, so he became a Buddhist when I was a teen. And so, something about the the radical questioning and and bravery and living outside of you know the, the societal norms and doing everything, you know, seeing everything for yourself what was true, completely resonated with everything the Buddha talked about. Mm-hmm. One of his most famous suttas was. Uh, don't believe anything you hear, anything you're taught, anything you're told, anything that's passed around. See for yourself. Connect with people you trust and see for yourself. And he also exhorted people to his the people who he's with to live outside of the system and do, and try to develop their own radical alternative lifestyles. You know, he's pretty punk. Yeah, oh my God. I mean, we call him Sid, you know, Sid Harder. We call him <laughs> Sid. <laughs> so Sid was definitely the shit. Yeah, I mean, even just like, even what, like, I, I was just reading about the Dalai Lama randomly the other day and how, I mean, I forgot that just basically everything he set up over the mountain, like he basically just set up a punk rock collective, like over the mountains. Yeah. Like he was kicked out of where he wanted to be for what they believed in and created their own culture somewhere else to do it. Yeah. That's pretty fucking badass. Oh, he's definitely badass. Not a lot of examples of that. I'm not sure he'd call it like a punk rock collective, but. (laughs) 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 That might be a little bit news to him, but. (laughs) in, in, In the book, you sort of talk about you were working in advertising. Yeah. And then sort of 9-11 happened and that that, was that sort of like that was sort of an impetus for you kind of rediscovering this stuff or how like how did how did you kind of get to sort of like what you're doing now? Ah, well, (laughs) I just married this wonderful woman and uh, well, we had met in uh, Y2K uh, New Year's Eve party where people were like. (laughs) Oh shit! Is the computer is going to stop yeah. working? Well, yeah. Are they going to be like you know? Is the are they going to be? Is it the end of the earth? You know, totally. so, so that was kind fun. of exciting. Yeah. And we met then, and uh, so by uh, June uh, uh, two thousand one, we were married, <coughs> and then uh, by September nine eleven happened, and I had been working in advertising as a graphic designer for. Probably by that point, by about uh, oh a number of years, um, I had always had a background in graphic design. It was the only way that drunks and out, you know, you know, drug addicts could get make a living. I got sober in '95, and I got heavily into Buddhist my Buddhist practice again. There, I had always been. Interested in practicing, but that's when I really, like my dad, I was like, if I'm going to stay sober, I have to have a some kind of spiritual practice. Plus, in 12-step recovery, they kind of insist that you have some spiritual foundation. 
Did but, it feel more natural just because, like, yeah, you had, my you had a living example of it? Yeah, yeah, my dad, and it was the books were around in my childhood, and I've always been kind of a outsider. I've never looked like I've never been a model citizen. <laughs> but, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, I when I graduated from college, I had a mohawk, and you know, it's like getting beaten up by police in the Lower East Side and stuff. So I never really, I was always looking for some spiritual path that had a very alternative thing. So, sure. cut to your question: In two thousand, when nine eleven happened, I was already pretty depressed. I felt like, what's the purpose in working in advertising? I mean, just you know, just advertising products that are no better than any other product, you know. You don't, you don't feel like you're giving back to society or to other people in any meaningful way. And then I got just viewing 9-11. I just got, I was like, that in and of itself is traumatic. But then afterwards, going trying to go back to advertising when you've seen just, you know, the buildings that were always in the, were very, like a part of my childhood, just not demolished with thousands of lives in it and just and then on top of it right after 9-11 there was this these ideas that there was like there was myths about anthrax being oh, released yeah. right right know, and so it was like it felt like we were we were living in sort of apocryphal times and then uh so i couldn't make any sense anymore in my life i got horribly depressed just couldn't get, you know, could barely get out of bed. Kathy was dragging me to see psychiatrists. And I eventually realized that I had to really deepen down in my spiritual practice and um, also make a sort of sacred pact that I was just going to not be a part of the corporate world anymore. Uh, as little as I was just being an art director, but, you know, I just had, I just needed out. So around that time, I met this guy Noah, who had started Dharma Punks because Noah was heavily into punk mm-hmm. uh, in San Francisco, and he wrote a book called Dharma Punks, and it had just come out. I don't even know if it was out then, but we met, and I saw somebody who presented spiritual life, and you know, uh, just talked about spirituality in a way that I really resonated with. Mainly, what he was was. He never talked like somebody who was fixed or a guru or I've got it figured out or uh, I've got no issues. He uh, spoke because like me, he had a 12-step background. So he always spoke from I'm fucked up. Here's what I'm doing about it. But Was it easier to take with just some humility behind it? Totally. Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know. I can only speak for myself, but when somebody presents themselves as some kind of evolved spiritual figure where they got it sus, they've never known anger, oh, yeah, hi, welcome. (laughs) It's so nice to see you. I just get creeped out. Yeah, Yeah, it's a little hard to trust, right? Well, I mean, because what they're presenting is if, like, anger or sadness or fear are bad, and they're not. They're human sure. emotions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you present like all you know is tranquility and calm and that you're above it all, to me, that's inauthentic. That's like You think some, it's denial? Yeah. 
It's yeah. a spiritual bypass because all human emotions are important and play necessary roles. Like if you can't fear, feel anger, you can't set boundaries in your life and tell someone, hey, back off. Yeah, I saw you in another, um, I forget in what, but talking about how anger was such a necessary emotion to spark um, activism at any point. Yeah. Like, and without it, you know, you you would be lost in beginning activist culture. Totally. So you find anger, like, you know, used in the right way, like, to be necessary? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, when people don't feel their anger, and by anger I don't mean... Like that hatred story of, you know, certain people deserve to be punished or, you know, we're we're turning into a story. I mean, the feeling of anger, like this is not right. This is unfair. If you can feel it and then channel it into a way where you set boundaries or confront injustice, and it's absolutely vital. There's no emotions that human beings have are mistakes, Mm. They all serve vital survival functions, just like sadness allows us to process loss. Joy celebrates connection with other people and, you know, achievement. And so all emotions are guiding us and steering us. They're actually, some people denigrate emotions and say, well, it's your rational mind. That's uh, most important. You should use your reason to tamper down or override your emotions but uh, from a psychological perspective and from a Buddhist, uh, I think, and of all Buddhist perspective uh, emotions are just as vital and just as informative and just as true uh, if in a way not even more true in that they guide us to connect Mm. and to take care of ourselves and to to get to be safe. Sure. How does your sort of like this sort of stuff in the book about neuroscience and left and right brain. Yeah. I mean, is that something, is that like, because I haven't heard that, I guess, traditionally with the Dharma punks kind of, is that kind of stuff that you've kind of investigated on your own a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I love, um, I look like I'm a strange kind of tattooed freak, but I also, I'm a complete nerd. And, uh, I love reading books on psychology and neuroscience. Kathy will tell you, I've got like bookshelves in our house. And I just find it really fascinating. And so there was this book that came out a while back called The Master and His Emissary by a neuroscientist named McGilchrist who really deep down sort of uh, brought together all the contemporary neuroscience that shows that the human mind is basically made up of two rather distinct personalities, you know, left and right brain. And they're far more distinct than we realize. The left is rational, it represents the world, it's schematic, analytical. It sort of turns life into these maps and representations and ideas. Mm. But then the right brain is the hub of not only emotions, but our connection with nature, our holistic view of the world, our connection, emotional, nonverbal connection with others. And so one part, the left, is very fixated, focused on accumulating supplies and goods and things that will make you self-sufficient. But your right brain, meanwhile, doesn't have any concern about the future or accumulating. It's always about 
connecting safely with other people in the world around you. The left brain is about the future, the past. It turns everything into a story. The right brain has no sense of past or future. It's about right now. Am I safe? Am I connected? And most of us spend our lives, our adult lives, essentially repressing all of our emotional needs to connect and be part of a community and be a part of, you know, uh, deeply connected with others. And we try to get those, our sense of security met by purchasing, buying, social media, Tinder, things that allow us to accumulate and to amass sort of temporary sort of accumulate experiences rather than actually deeply emotionally interact and situate ourselves in a collective. And it's a shame because human beings over the course of natural selection, the bulk of our history was in what's called hunter-gatherer collectives where we spent all of our lives with a small community of about six or seven other adults really bonding. And much of the brain is set up to only feel safe and happy with serotonin and acetylcholine when we feel that we have five or six people who really know what's going on with us and have our back. But in my experience working in counseling and teaching, most people don't have that really core, deeply connected group, that sort of posse of people who really have your back and know what's going on with you. And we try to sort of substitute that by other means yeah it's pretty bizarre <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really is i mean the, the interesting the interesting part about the, the capsule it, summary but, the, but, exactly. but there's another side too that i i find interesting which is like you know it's easy to to find the things we're looking into like as as almost like totally artificial but you know, I did. I once wrote an article about the the psychology of like the touring musician, mm. and looking into that, I found somebody who specifically looked into the psychology of travel, and like you know what incites people to travel and what it is in the mind. And so much of it is almost like the uh, you know fifties and sixties like home movies thing. Like you're basically going somewhere to come back and show people you've been there. Yeah, but. Because of this need to satisfy this in yourself, you still actually went and experienced it to a certain degree. And, like, I have a friend who, um, you know, I was making fun of Instagram one day. It's a guy I tour with, actually. He's like, you know what? He's like, half the time I'm going and looking for great Instagram shots, I, it makes me leave. Yeah. And it makes me look for that place that someone else hasn't seen or something like that. And there is this, like... I mean, right, there's always like an ancillary to this stuff where... Well, yeah, the, the hunter-gatherer, part of the life was going out, risking deaths, trying to uh, amass survival tools and bring them back and achieve some kind of social status for right. having risked your life, going out into the world and accomplished and brought back something that would aid the collective, the clan that you were in. But the other half was deeply connecting and right. and revealing disclosing your feelings trusting others so we're very good now with the traveling and the you know chasing after experiences doing ayahuasca and some ceremony <laughs> you know and you know traveling to costa rica or wherever and coming sure. back and showing the images but we're not so good at uh, getting real with each other yeah and getting vulnerable that's true that's the corollary to the uh 
people are kind of terrified of just like face to face conversation these days, aren't they? Totally. Yeah, because, I'm seeing it more and more. It's yeah, just it's like true. it's like I'm you know I'm a I'm, <clears throat> I'm a little abrasive like the way I talk. I like I like to like get into it. You know what I mean? And and I feel like a lot of people more so now find me like threatening like oh, almost really? like a bulldozer like they're like whoa, whoa, whoa. like i wasn't expecting i'm like i'm just trying to like get into it here let's get yeah. in the mix let's talk like you know and i'm like kind of having fun and they think i'm like mad you know <laughs> absolutely and and like do you think like the stuff we were talking about is adding to that like the 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 sort of fake networks and this oh yeah i mean uh we live these days in what could be called bifurcated lives where People present on social media just one part of the human experience, which is, look at me at a party surrounded by friends. You know, look at me doing yoga with, you know, look at me traveling. Look at me, you know, speaking in public. Look at So we only show the sort of dynamic, loved, exciting, you know, parts mm-hmm. i've nobody shows images of themselves kind of mopey like oh fuck it's tuesday i don't <laughs> want to look at me i'm miserable nobody does that and so well, just less likes yeah <laughs> as many likes it's like but the result of that is that we present a wholly inauthentic sure non nobody can sustain being always dynamic exciting thrilling uh well, maybe you can, but I, you know, I, <laughs> oh, no, I can. I mean, it does make me think the same thing you just talked about, which is like maybe always people had that facade they put up to the world, no, and only the five or six people you're talking yeah. about knew the true vulnerability of these people, and maybe it's still the same. It's like you just put up the bullshit on Instagram, and then there's still those people behind the scenes who are like, yeah, I know really what's going on if that's the case it's you know? fine but my on what i'm finding in working with people one-on-one is that very few people have those five people right you know you say okay it's great if you want to post images of yourself always looking you know uh traveling or always looking like you're you you know are at the coolest party ever and sure. that's fine but do you have those five people who really know what's going on with you and know if you know when you're depressed or when you're anxious who know when sure. you're feeling you know you're struggling in life do they do you have those and very few people i i meet actually do well what would you say to someone say like hypothetically like i walked in 20 you know to your space and i was like listen i'm 37 i've heard you speak i've heard you speak on this but i don't have people that support me i don't have people in my life i'm basically here alone but i also don't really trust people and it takes me a while and this and that like how would you recommend somebody like that like build that court yeah i say it's done it's over give up yeah (laughs) (laughs) right too late for you yeah you're screwed man send them out on an ice block right (laughs) and then you also don't believe in yeah yeah that's a good one just count out the clock man (laughs) no i mean obviously the the core is to connect with the community and start getting vulnerable and that requires risk disclosing sure. the parts that nobody's showing on Facebook or Tinder or, uh, you know, Twitter or whatever. But it is a real leap of faith because the things you're giving to people that, that you don't actually know as an adult, 
can so often be used against you, can like, you know, turn into something you never intended, mm-hmm. even if you had the best intentions. Or people can just, you know, people can just, you know, essentially shame or reject or act. I When I was really depressed, I remember I was talking with one guy who I fully expected to be empathetic. And I said, yeah, I'm really depressed. And he said, oh, I'm never depressed. Oh well, thanks a fucking lot. <laughs> that's really what I was hoping you would say. Oh, that cool. makes me feel normal, yeah, and yeah. that's validating my emotions. You know? <laughs> so yeah, you know, even in taking any risk, sure, somebody can can make you f- feel like your your feelings are abnormal, and or they can hold it against you, or they can. But that's a risk of being a human being. I mean, we sure. we are. The evolutionary psychologist uh, Dunbar, a really fascinating guy, he, he analyzed all these different cultures and he found that we always – the human brain is structured to have about – to know about 150 people. But it's also structured to need about five or six people to be like that sort of small pack of close mm-hmm. friends. And these days we all know 150 people. You might know – you might see 150 people on a commute any day, you know, easily. But – just we don't have that group of people that have our back uh, emotionally and mm-hmm. <clears throat> in psychology if you don't have that what's called a secure base that group of people that really will be there to help soothe you and calm you down when you're you're frightened or scared or overwhelmed or stressed out then you become risk averse mm. you stop taking risks you stop reaching out you stop uh, exploring the world, right? So the, you need both to explore, to take risks, to be creative. You have to have a secure base of people that will help you process things when you fail. To mm-hmm. risk and take to right. explore the world means you have to have people to help you when you fail, when you have setbacks. Yeah. What? Hmm. I know you spoke of this earlier a little bit about spiritual bypassing. Yeah. I mean, what? What would you say? Because I feel like a lot of people uh, when they get into like I've read a lot of sort of spiritual books and I feel like a lot of them are like, just meditate 20 day, twenty minutes twice a day and you're good. And I felt like you really didn't, I mean, you talked about that a little bit towards the end, having a practice, but I felt like it was more like acknowledge your emotions, feel these things, don't like try to like turn away from them. Right. I mean, can you talk a little bit about how people spiritual bypass and why it's important to sort of, because I, I think that's a very interesting concept that I don't hear about a lot. Hmm. Well, spiritual bypass is the idea that there's something you can do that can essentially lift you above having negative emotions. Like, okay, if I meditate 20 minutes in the morning, in the evening, therefore I'll never feel sad or lonely or depressed or angry or bored or whatever. And uh, of course it doesn't work that way. One, because as I was saying... Um, those univ- those emotions are universal. Why are they universal? Mm. Because they serve a purpose. They you can't somehow excise loneliness or anger or sadness from the human condition. They're there to. If you never feel lonely, you'll never know when you need to connect with other people. Loneliness is there to push us to reach out. So people though desperately don't want to feel bad ever they want to as the buddha said they want to avoid discomfort and that makes things worse not better Mm. when we try to avoid feeling lonely when we come home from work we'll eat compulsively when we feel purposeless in our life if we don't know how to be with it 
hold it, process it, then we'll shop all the time. If if we don't know how to feel disconnected and not seen by another human, we'll compulsively be on Tinder all the time. You know, I know guys who are have a rotation of one woman each night of the week. And, uh, I mean, that's a way to not feel feelings. And, uh, you know, people will drink the moment they feel socially awkward because they can't process simply feeling, oh, what's it like to feel that I'm a little awkward and I don't always feel confident being around other people. Mm. So... If we don't know how to feel those feelings and process them, then we never learn from them and we never adjust our lives. And, you know, uh, for instance, when you feel socially awkward, if people drink all the time, then they don't know how to get real and disclose how they really feel Mm -hmm. and get vulnerable. So spiritual bypass, any attempt to, through spiritual practices as opposed to drugs or alcohol or shopping or consuming, it's just another way to not feel what you need to feel and adapt your life in a meaningful way and process your emotions. It's interesting. Would you say that you, that's a, yeah. Would you say that you run into any issues like within the Buddhist community? I know in the book you mentioned, you don't believe in rebirth yeah, and these kinds of things. I mean, how do you sort of deal with their sort of being like a framework, mm. but also sort of questioning that? I'm sure there are people who think, Oh my God, this guy is so <laughs> not a Buddhist and that's fine. I don't, I don't really pay attention and that's, they have every right to believe that, you know, but you know, I have, I've been one my entire life. I've been practicing for as now for, Oh my God. I mean, you talk about being in the Dharma since 15. So it's been 42 years. I think by now I'm allowed to <laughs> claim my own little niche and, and you know, everybody else has their own niche and that's great, you know, and people come to a lot of people come to my gatherings, they're always filled, so that's great. There's a lot of other gatherings that say the exact opposite. They're filled, so you know, there's room for there's room for everybody. Yeah. Uh, we're all bozos on a bus, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do you sort of make that work? And another big concept with in the sort of the context of capitalism. Yeah. Like, you know, you talk about how like you're not supposed to charge for the Dharma, right. like you live off donations. I, I live mean, totally off donations. Yeah. How is that like how Where's I, my donations? I know, Dan? right? Where's my cup? <laughs> Is that- not here, Pat. <laughs> this is our town. I, mean, I don't live off donation. I'm screwed. Now. I feel like it's hard to get paid not living off donation. I mean, like, what is your? How is that stressful, or is that just something you put? Fit? Like, how does that sort of work for you? Are you just used to that framework? No, it's not stressful because a uh, my wife and I made some really smart choices. We bought. Didn't have children. That was our smart choice. That saves a lot of money. <laughs> that was that's how I knew she was the one. We were like walking down the street. We saw we both saw a pregnant woman, and her expression was even more disgusted. Than <laughs> it was even more scared than my. When people say, "Oh, we're having our first," they they hear it's a good thing. What I hear is something like. Oh, you know, we just got diagnosed with cancer or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. So, but anyway, uh, yeah, and, and also I, we don't spend crazy. We we bought a small place to live in when it was our our neighborhood was rife with people running around with machetes, and now we live in one of the most 
literally, there was guys at night running around with machetes. And now our neighbor is one of the most, like, you know, everybody wants to live where we sure. live. So <clears throat> I did, we don't have very high expenses, to say the least. And I saved money from working in advertising. And, you know, I don't, you know, we're we're lucky that people are generous enough that I can I can live, you know. I mean, I don't, I'm... I'm what you would call like living on like I guess a plumber's, you know. No, not a, a plumbers make pretty good money. But yeah, I was saying <laughs> that. Yeah, less. <laughs> They're doing all right. Probably like a teacher, you know, salary. Right. So yeah, that's probably right. Huh. But you know, it's all generated by donation. I don't charge, and people so anybody can come and get counseling and and be part of the community. So that's being. I've never been a big fan of the whole uh, capitalist system of everything you need as a human being you have to pay for. I just and pay a lot for it. And if you don't have enough money for therapy, well fuck you. you know? Right. Mm. I don't I don't believe in that and I don't want to be a part of that and I want to be a part of something that's outside that entire worldview. Yeah. Um, I, I was, uh, I was curious. In other words, I'm stark raving mad. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I was, I found one thing interesting. You know, I was listening a lot about, you know, you connecting punk rock and Buddhism. That's obviously like a big thing for you and the, the, how the, the thinking is similar. And one thing I, I was sort of going back to is how like, sort of uniquely American mm. that has to be. And the idea that like in a Buddhist culture, mm. you know, that wouldn't be punk rock at all. Right. Like, like there, there is, is an association that you have between the two things, maybe uniquely American, you think because of your own experience, you know, I like the, <coughs> excuse me, the whole American thing is so loaded for me. I, I feel like a Brooklyn. I, I don't feel like an sure. American. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get that. That's, Especially with Trump and all I this. I like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. like, okay. You know, somebody says, are you American? I'm like, no, I'm from Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm ready to build the wall around Brooklyn. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> no, it's true. I, exactly. I'm a Brooklyn secessionist. No, I get that. I mean, I feel the same. I've never felt more disconnected with like just mainstream white american culture than i do right now even to the point i i feel the need to separate myself yeah. where i'm like no, no no no, like my grandparents are immigrants my parents are from new york i'm jewish like no that's not me like that they're talking about like i never had to feel that before yeah um i understand that but for there sure. is there is in this area though like you know even people like john joseph of the crow mags and people like that already harley flanagan was doing you know there was People from for a long time who were merging spiritualism, spirituality with punk, mm-hmm. with an outsider DIY ethos, and um, yeah, you know, I mean, we were talking about Turnstile, right? Even like I watch those vid- amazing videos of them playing, uh, and I just like this is hardcore, and I just. I feel just still a deep connection. I don't even know if they're spiritual or not, but I just feel a deep connection with them. That's who I identify with. Yeah, I think it's cool. I mean, how do you find out about sort of new bands? Oh, like... uh, 
literally I will read obsessively online. I'll try to chase and I'll listen. The beauty of the, hearing music today, unlike when I was a kid, you know, you read that, oh, check out Turnstile, their new album, Time and Space, somebody writes on a blog and you're like, next thing you know, you're watching them live. Right, you know, right. Clicking on YouTube. That's amazing. So it's really easy to check out. You just have to have the thirst and the desire to never settle. And so many people I know fall into this kind of, I think, this lame view that there's no new good music. The only good music was the music that came out when I was 14, you know. And that's sad and pathetic to me, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> if you're not... If you're not constantly seeking out new new music, new art, new books, new movies, you're that you're you're giving up, right? Right, right. And they just, don't trust young people. That's yeah, what have it. they yeah, just don't exactly. trust young people. They don't trust young exactly. Yeah. And every generation has its poets and its visionaries and For this sure. this new generation surely has a hell of a lot of brilliant. Oh yeah. brilliant Brilliant. I mean, I just listen to some music today, and I'm just like, wow, this is just fucking awesome. And I was just told, I, I mean, I know I'm sitting at a table with three people who hate children, but um, <laughs> I just walked into a... Uh, That's what we said. We hate yeah. children. This is a, yeah, this is a this, hate children side. Of the yeah, yeah. I'm over here. Me and Brad are like, oh, Jesus, I know we ruined our fucking lives, all right? Um, and, uh, this, but, this is a cancer, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so but, you love cancer, is what you're saying. Uh, twice. Yeah, twice. Um, but I was just in a... Uh, I was down in Florida, and... Wandering around with a ten, my ten month old baby, this little girl who we did like right off the bat, felt like a different vibe than our son. She he, she was like chiller. She would look at you in a way you're like, what are you looking at? Like you're actually like looking at me, like and kind of seeing something. We did feel like she feels old to me. Mm. You know what I mean? She feels like she's been around and she's smart. And my my son felt like just a little wilder and more reckless and new, I feel like. And, and I've been getting this vibe. We call her the baby Buddha, just messing around. And, yeah. um, and I go into this like holistic, you know, gem shop where the guy's making tinctures and, you know, he, he starts them when the, the new moon starts and he finishes them <laughs> when the full moon completes and the whole thing. And I'm like, this guy's fun. He's from Minneapolis. He kind of looked like young Bob Dylan. So I start chatting with him and, and and he's you know seeing my baby too and i'm kind of telling him the vibe and he tells me that in this community he says she has an indigo uh, aura coming off her mm. and in the last year since i guess like the trump thing has started apparently there's been a wave of like indigo babies coming into the world that are sort of these like old natural empaths mm. who are coming in to sort of Move the tide the other way. Balance it out. Yeah. Balance. And he said, wow. I have one, apparently. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> I mean, you never know. Like, you can, this is what I was talking about. You can't trust people. Maybe it's just some hippie, <laughs> you know, maybe it's just some fucking hippie who's like, 
oh, you know, we need more warriors for liberalism. I'm going to tell this guy some <laughs> shit to make him think this. And now we're all on the same fucking team. Yeah, that, that indigo like, stuff sounds yeah, a little Yeah, exactly. Sketchy. That sounds good. Or he could be totally genuine. indigo, like blue? Like she, she's giving off like a blue hue? That's what he says. So yeah. but what was the indigo? Or is that just the way they Sounds more like anything? an indica. Indica. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you got confused. Maybe I got confused. I'm like, yo, what's up, man? <laughs> yo, not in front of my baby, man. Not in front of my baby. <laughs> I mean, what would you recommend to people who maybe have never been gone down a spiritual path, have never been to like a group meditation, anything like that, aside from reading your excellent book? Uh, uh, I, w- I wouldn't even recommend that. Okay, I would recommend it. <laughs> I'd recommend it. Josh can't, but I will. Uh, but what what would you sort of recommend? Because I feel people might be listening to this and yeah. sort of curious, but not really know where to start. You mean some people, somebody's actually held on this long. Maybe, this conversation? maybe They're it's like- possible. I they think so. Sludge through. They've they made sur- it through to this part. You remember the way people listen to podcasts? They're like, they're in their car. Yeah. You know, they're in like, they're, they're not hanging on to every word. Right. They might yeah. have just ignored the last 20 minutes. Yeah. We should have back. some special reward for that person yeah. who's still listening. Yeah. Uh, got some, they heard me say fuck and then have, their ears yeah, popped up again. Have, you know? They have, like, some, they have some delicious kombucha. Yeah. Here, come down way. to A bar and okay, get A-bar some kombucha. Should I curse loudly periodically on the podcast to wake people up, get people back in? Yeah. Oh, I have a friend who, who was baby. She was. Ba- <laughs> I have a friend who was babysitting Cop as a balls. nanny, and was, she was listening to the podcast. Penis. And it was we had told a story about. Sh- <laughs> we had told a. St- <laughs> we had told some story about like shitting or something, and she was playing it throughout the house. And these parents came home, and she got fired. Oh, oh. it's true. Yeah, oh, no. or, or didn't get fired, but didn't get asked back. Oh, it's like a high end gig. Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah, I think that's really good. I, I like it when when I work with people. I love it when they lose their jobs. Like, <laughs> yeah. So you did a, a valuable public service. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> Man, I might have lost a couple people their jobs. I curse a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I feel like we're all part of that movement to cost people their employment. Yeah, I, yeah. I like that employment. <laughs> You think so? Ah, <laughs> uh, here we go. Yeah, it's we're changing turn. the tides. Guys, is something happening right now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but it's, it has a blue hue to it. <laughs> I want to ask more about Uh-oh. Uh-oh. this American thing. Because uh-huh. the thing that it really like <laughs> made me think that. about... Yeah, well, I understand not connecting with the American experience, but like you grew up here regardless. Yeah, I so, so there is an element that like reaching into something like Buddhism... Mm is outside of the just i mean we it's a christian country so just even going outside of that um so if you're in a entirely buddhist country what's punk rock there well there's in thailand where we visited quite a number of times there's a lot of punk rock bands right so and are they are they anti-religion are they like anti-buddhism they still have the same because that's the establishment there I see where you're getting at, but no, they don't. They actually tend to have a lot of Buddhist iconography to it. It's more that they there's a lot to fight against in Thailand. It's sure. you don't have to fight against the the spiritual, you know. And it should be said though that <coughs> in Thailand there's two kinds of Buddhism. There's a sort of the big corporate Buddhism where they sell trinkets and iconography right. and it's money based and it's based in the cities. And then there's sort of the outsider. The forest Buddhists who are anti-capitalist and anti-deforestation and are not in line with the sort of mm-hmm. uh, business interests of the country. And the punk bands tend to revere those like we do. We tend right. to revere sure. the Thai forest Buddhists, not the 
bigwig. Yeah. You know, the sort of culturally, societally enshrined Buddhists there. But they tend to really be against uh, the same things that left punk, like, you know, remember Earth Crisis? Of course. Uh, there we go. You're in the so, right room. Right, yeah. right <laughs> room. So, you know, like, them and Converge would be, sure. you know, they, they'd have the same exact attitudes. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they're no different. They're fighting against corporate greed and, you know, misogyny and homophobia and the same exact things that that a band like Earth Crisis would be fighting against. Earth Crisis said they wanted to kill me, though. Why? Why would they want to kill you? Because I smoked pot. Did they list you personally? I mean, street by street, block by block. They were coming for me, right? Isn't that a firestorm? Yeah. Wasn't I technically (coughs) in the firestorm? Or was it like drug dealers and stuff? I think it was more drug dealers. I think so, yeah. Um, (laughs) Who would have known Carl from Earth Crisis is like the... uh, president of the philippines you know just wants to kill everyone who does drugs i i think he was i don't know i don't want to justify his but one you have to actually be able to discern what he's singing most that's true that's a very good point uh another thing i want to touch on before we stop is uh this idea in the book about you talk about the shadow self yes um i thought that concept was really interesting could you maybe speak about that a little bit and Mm. sort of like because I feel like a lot of these ideas kind of feed into that. Shadow self is basically a term that goes back to Jung. It's uh, It basically denotes that uh, part of our experience that we repress because we believe nobody will want to see it. So very early on in life and childhood years, our parents and our family systems inform us that it's okay to, you know, uh, be – you know, smart, confident, funny, happy. That's what we like. That's what we feel confident in presenting to other people. But there's other parts in our family system and in, then in, you know, educational and peer relationships that pe- nobody wants to see. Nobody wants to see the the sad or the angry or the frightened or the confused. So we, when we have those experiences, we tend to repress them. And it creates what you could call a shadow self, essentially a realm of repressed emotions, feelings, impulses that are part, a natural part of any human being's life. But at the same time, we feel the need to uh, contain and uh, essentially withhold them from view. And then they, you know, Jung said basically people will in their dreams compensate for the shadow self, they'll like literally experience all those parts mm-hmm. that they've repressed. Um, in my experience, people's, you know, if you're, if you have same sex attraction, but you live in a homophobic society, you'll repress your natural desires. And then of course it doesn't mean they go away. It just means they become, uh, essentially they'll seek their outlet through sort of uh, binge behaviors that you'll then sort of, you'll create a whole uh, self-state that's separate from the rest of your life where you secretly go off and, you know, cry or binge eat or jerk off or whatever. And then you present to the rest of the world this sort of largely inauthentic presentation. And so part of the work of being a full authentic human being is to reclaim the shadow self and to not withhold it and to learn how to express it to other people through art, through 
you know, disclosing an emotions through um, music, through, you know, community involvement. Just find a way to find a safe audience or container for those parts of ourselves that we've been informed are not lovable. Why are those the things that people go to specifically, like binge eating, jerking off, like mm. like this type of behavior? Like, what it? What do you think it is in a person that that leads those places to be like safe for you? Or is that a dopamine thing? Or what is? Well, that? it's partially compartmentalization is part of the whole self uh, shadow self, which is we compartmentalize the parts of ourselves that we don't want to feel or acknowledge. And then you can't just keep those impulses and energies and emotional states dormant. It's Mm -hmm. just not the way the human mind works. So eventually all that stuff you sort of like been squeezing into this little shadowy corner comes out. And so I worked with one person who literally was uh i don't even remember what kind of sex he was into but he would like once every couple of weeks secretly go into some like sort of movie you know sex shop and jerk off to watch some video and it was like the shameful thing simply because he had compartmentalized and so rejected this just totally authentic part of himself mm-hmm. you know might have been bondage or whatever i don't know what you know but uh, so people just go to binge babies that allow them quickly to externalize the energy of emotions that they've repressed, whether it's binge eating, binging and purging, whether it's sort of like uh, going into one of those Netflix binges where you watch 12 hours of some show to not you know, feel lonely or whatever. We use these sort of fast outlets to just express plunge the energy and then go back to repressing it and so hopefully what spiritual practice and emotional awareness and healing through community is about is self-integration mm-hmm. not not essentially repressing all these natural feelings needs impulses into some sort of uh shadowy corner where we believe nobody will love us if we express these things mm-hmm. How do you avoid kind of being judgmental, I guess? Because I feel like if I were you, I would be like, not that you have everything figured out, but I think I would turn reality TV and be like, oh, all these people are repressing this. Like, I can point out what this person's doing avoidance, this person. Like, how do you sort of have, like, compassion to other people when you see them sort of, like, treating the planet or treating each other so badly? Oh, I don't know that I'm this endless... I don't want to present (laughs) myself as this endless font of compassion. I, I view... The moment Trump even flashes on a screen, I feel a combination of nausea, disgust, and <clears throat> probably some energy close to just pure anger. Yeah. So I don't. Sure. I don't have endless compassion for all people, but when I see people who are needlessly suffering, who are not trying to repress, you know, if so, it's so common when men have same-sex attraction that they uh, repress that and then beat up gay people right that i find difficult to <laughs> to empathize with at all but on the other hand when i see people who are simply um 
repressing their loneliness or their sadness or their fear and and acting out on addiction. I can be endlessly empathetic with that because I lived that for so much. But of my life. isn't that their core? Like I feel like somebody who has I- internalized their own instincts so badly that they beat up gay people and mm-hmm. and Donald Trump who like. Is a you racist. Know, yeah, I mean, any number of things that turned in. Misogynist. Basically, rapey. to me, those are the people who are just like further lost. You know what I mean? Like mm. the person you're talking about is someone who like you could still maybe get to. Right. Like, like do you think it gets to a point, <clears throat> you know, like Donald Trump is still the culmination of something. Right. And it's still insecurity and vulnerability and all these types of things that lead him to do what he does. Right. And but those is, are the people who vote for him. The but is he, the, is he like, you know, I feel like if you believe in the fundamental concept that we like all start from this place and because of a certain set of reasons we wind up here, that everybody is could be saved or everybody could be pulled back to a point where they could fix themselves. Hmm. Or is someone like Donald Trump too old and so far gone that you have to put him on the ice block? <laughs> ah. <laughs> For me, he's too old. (laughs) There are people who are far more uh, empathetic and have far more energy that, you know, might argue otherwise. But no, I mean, in general, uh, I try to work with as many different people with as many different struggles as I humanly can. And I don't tend to write off people. On the other hand, I've never had, understandably, any white supremacist come to ask me for spiritual guidance so i don't know the limits of my compassion right i've I've never been in a situation where i've ever felt the need to turn someone away because of some belief or behavior but they look at me they probably just know you know wrong guy to go (laughs) (laughs) do you feel like wrong buddhist (laughs) do you feel like you get something positive from the counseling as well i mean does that sort of like when you're helping these people, does that does that sort of help you in a way? Completely, yeah, completely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, uh, in order to help, I any mean, there was a study. <coughs> I don't remember. I know it was, I think, authored originally by Martin Seligman when he was the head of the American Psychiatric Association. Where he studied all the different therapeutic modalities and he compared them and he found that it doesn't matter what kind of therapy you go into if you want to uh, address some kind of issue in your life so long as you have an empathetic connection and then they found furthermore that for the empathetic bonding to be effective the therapist has to be vulnerable too not just Mm. be some sort of figure that's sort of for sure you know frowning at the wrong time or looking sad at the wrong time but they have to be able to feel and if you feel and empathize and bond uh, non-verbally connect with another human being then you are going to necessarily get some of your most we are social species that's what allowed us to survive as a species that's what our greatest need is is to connect so anytime you empathetically connect with another human being you're healing yourself as well Hmm. You see that? It saved, like, um, you know, my, I come from a family of educators, and I, I, my brother couldn't, couldn't quite figure it out until he started working with kids, like mm. fucked up kids, who just, like, once you can see yourself outside of your own head, yeah. 
and witness it through another experience can certainly help. Yeah, then you're less alone in the world. Yeah. Because you see your most vulnerable parts that you've been repressing into that shadow self are now right visible in front of you, and then you no longer need to believe there's something unique. Deeply the most painful thing a human being experiences outside of isolation is the feeling that there is something in them that other people will reject mm. or is unnatural. And when they see that in another human being, it completely alleviates that that sort of deep aloneness that causes the most human suffering. Mm. Very cool. Um, last question. Sure. Craziest, crazy, I guess, craziest show you saw in <laughs> New York. Was it Cro-Mags? Was it Bad Brains? (coughs) I want to bring it back full circle. No, I would have to say, well, there was a couple, so I can't just say one. One, I saw the slits in like 1979 or 80, and Up just got bored with playing, and so she invited like different women in the audience and then men to come up and play their instruments, and it descended into a riot. (laughs) I was outside of public... Where was that show? Uh, that was in like the Ritz or someplace. I don't remember where it was, but it's. You, I could look it up. It was somewhere in Lower Manhattan. A um, couple others. There was. I was outside the Public Image Limited show when they had the riot because they played behind the court, the curtain. That was pretty fun. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, seeing Public Enemy. Uh, play right after Fear of a Black Planet came uh-huh. out at the world in like, I don't know, maybe 1988. That was, oh, it was so terrifying just going there, you know. Uh, seeing Parliament Funkadelic when I was a teen, <laughs> and I just thought I was going to be killed because I was white. You know? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> just going to Madison Square Garden. Uh, seeing Led Zepp play. Uh, Madison Square Garden, like wow, with Bonham, you know all that. That was pretty staggering experience. Uh, it keeps going on and on. There's been so many memorable. Oh, probably the most memorable show though was my hero uh, Fela Kuti and seeing him play in Paris for five hours. Mm-hmm. Five hours? Five hours. He didn't go on stage for the first hour. It was like four (laughs) hours. Started at like nine and was done at like two in the morning. It was like – but like for the first 45 minutes, it was just one percussionist come on stage, like do – and then be another and then another and then like a, you know, bass guitarist then another bass guitarist then another and then horn section. And after a while, I kept on thinking, okay, that's failure, right? That's failure. <laughs> no, that's just the, you know, the conga player. I was like, oh, okay. Then another guy would come on. That's failure, right? That's failure. No, it's like, and then some guy next to me was like, no, he's not going to be on for at least another half an hour. It's, <laughs> oh my God. But it was amazing. Fela Kuti was like. I think you should follow us up with a rock memoir maybe. <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, pretty good. Yeah, we I ask mean, these questions to some some people who you'd expect some great things. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I don't know. No like, one's ever just dropped Zeppelin. To- <laughs> yeah, like, Zeppelin. That might even be a first here. Like, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you, Josh. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. I yeah, it was, it was awesome. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for coming so on. Yeah. yeah, totally. And a shout out to Kathy, my Maybe wife, is sitting here, sitting yes. here, like putting up with my. Thank you, Kathy. You got anything to add? Yeah. <laughs> it's all not true. So. It's all not true. <laughs>
<laughs> Listening to the stories, I'm I'm always kind of fascinated how he married. A girl from New Jersey who grew up listening to disco and had a cop for a father. <laughs> I think I Where else so. could he go? That's right. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much to Josh Corder for coming by. Check out his book, Unsubscribe, out now. And check out um, Dharma Punks NYC to see when Josh is giving a talk in New York or somewhere else because his talks are very inspiring. And also yeah. check out his podcast. Thanks so much for uh, Josh coming through. Yeah. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Josh, coming through. If thank you, you A-Bar. Thank you, A-Bar, for hosting us at Manha- Manhattan Avenue in Greenpoint. Um, Thanks for Pulse Music for letting us do this intro there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. And if you want to, uh, yeah, check out A-Bar as well. Go to, Record something at Pulse Music. Then and when you're done, go to A-Bar. Yeah. And if you want to buy Jonah a $12 smoothie, uh, go to Venmo. Go to Venmo.com <laughs> slash off track. Yep. Um, in the notes, say Jonah's smoothie fun. Otherwise, <laughs> Brad will keep it for our server or something dumb like yeah, that. Yeah, it's stupid to keep the podcast going. Yeah. It's so boring. Yeah. It's so Ugh. boring and it's not organic. And, not, and it has no organic. protein. We really need to find an organic server company. It's true. I'm working on it. All right. I, it, I'm, I'm really, I, I really would stress, you know, guys, look at what's in your food. Yeah, it's this important. is not eco-friendly hosting. No. <laughs> um, also, check out uh, patreon.com slash going off track. If you want to support this podcast, you can... Uh, you can go there. You can uh, get new episodes before everyone else, exclusive content. Funny ki- pictures. Funny pictures, all kinds of stuff. Maybe I'll do a basketball playoff preview. Do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, Benny's going to do some stuff. I might do some stuff. You can look us up on Twitter. Those are all the ways to support us. Uh, we'll be back next week with another podcast. Thanks, Josh. We love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.